I'm Holiday. I'm Taraday. I'm Independence Day. Oh, a microphony. And a phony at the mic. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> and now, on with the opera. Let joy be unconfined. Let there be dancing in the streets, drinking in the saloons, and necking in the parlor. Play, Don. Would you welcome Mr. Warm? Picture it. Sicily, 1912. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fun-filled episode of Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0, where we cover all crime, and we do. I am, as always, your smart and talented host, the great white snark, Scotty J, and joining me on our trip into mayhem and madness is the beautiful and twisted Monica. Hi! And she, this is the thing, folks. She comes in sounding all nice and cheery, but but I've spent time alone with this one. She's like a grown-up Wednesday Adams. I guess I'll take it. Well, I mean, we've had some conversations about Bundy and Berkowitz and and people. Oh, yeah, I don't think I'm quite. Yeah. No, you're no, you're not as twisted as uh, as Wednesday. I mean, I I did catch. Have you seen the? Uh, the, the trailer for the new show Wednesday coming on Netflix. Yeah. Uh-uh. It's got Catherine Zeta Jones playing Morticia. Hey, I've seen, I saw pictures and, of it. Uh, I haven't seen any trailers. And a great character actor, um, Louise Guzman playing Gomez. Yeah, it was just, yeah, actually, like yesterday. So, well, I watched a trailer when I was on break. And at one point in this, in whatever school Wednesday's going to, she comes up on the water polo team and she's like, the only person who's allowed to torture my brother is me. And she dumps two plastic bags of piranhas into the pool. And apparently uh, the captain of the water polo team will no longer be allowed to uh, have children after the piranhas got to him. <laughs> You're right. Now, before we get into our uh, our show this week, um, Monica corrected me before we started rolling that uh, on Ted Bundy Part 1, I made the mistake and said it was Clint Eastwood and not Jack Nicholson, who's who he believed was his sister, but was really his mother. I'm good for all the Hollywood trivia. Well, right, but I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I had one of them pictured in my head. I don't re- don't remember which one. The Clint Eastwood. Well, they're they're both in that squinting face period right now. So, I mean, sure. if you if you see them, they're both just like squinting all the time. Oh yeah. Although I did see a picture recently of uh, Gene Hackman. He looks good for ninety two. Yeah, I was like, I liked him. He was good. Retired. Yeah. He was a great <laughs> Lex Luthor. No, also in the birdcage. Oh, God. That's, that is, <laughs> I, to this day, I don't know if that movie is celebrating gay culture or making fun of it. Celebrating. I'll take and celebrating, but it, if, everyone out there, if you have not seen the birdcage, please watch it. Nathan Lane and Robin Williams give a great performance in this and you get to see Gene Hackman in drag so 
spoiler alert, but I guess it is what 20. Yeah, right. 26 years old. So I guess there's a. Yeah. I remember when Robin was doing the press junkets for, and they asked him what Gene looked like as a woman. He was like, scary, very <laughs> scary. But no, it's, and also like celebrating families too. Yeah. So, yes. And a very young Callista Flockhart's in it. Oh, yeah. Which I could do two degrees from Superman using Callista Flockhart and Gene Hackman. Gene Most Hack- of all, it was with, with the Anne Hayes, that was with the Harrison Ford, too. With right, but... Um, and Allie McBeal, too. Right. Yeah, but Gene you go. Hack- Gene uh-huh. Hackman played Lex Luthor in Superman 1, 2, and The Quest for Peace with Christopher Reeve. Callista Flockhart played Cat Cat Grant in the first two seasons of Supergirl. Yeah, didn't he stop to connect the actual like person though too? So well, there, there was more character than right, but character. I mean they were both in a Superman franchise. So who the heck was it? It's like a superhero or anything anymore, right? No, no. Cat uh, Grant was a media mogul who worked for the Daily Planet. So yes, but I'm saying anything superhero and movie, whatever. No, but it's Hack- easier. It's easier to do who wasn't. Who isn't connected somehow to a superhero movie now? Uh, Kevin Bacon. No, no, Kevin Bacon did uh, X-Men The First Class. Okay. And wasn't Will Smith in uh, Six Suicide Squad? Yeah. Or... So, yeah, see what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm Either not one. So I guess we've done enough of the right. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna get back into uh, it's a long one today. So. Oh right. Well, we're doing Bundy Part Two, and if you remember last week, um, Bundy was just. I mean, some say he, and, and I'm I reading everything that I have on Bundy. I tend to agree that he may have killed Anne. The, the little girl that went missing. I I tend to believe that she might have been his first. I'm still I'm still not too sure about those stewardesses that dis- that they found in Jersey because I mean it is Jersey. There's a lot of hidden areas in this state, right? But I mean. I, I would want to see more about what those stewardesses look like to see if they fit the profile. Because Bundy didn't develop, Bundy developed his profile. We're going to get into his profile in this one. But his profile was, you know, brunettes with their hair parted down the middle. Uh-huh. <laughs> what did these stewardesses look like? If there's even any pictures. Right. And that's the thing is they they don't in all the Bundy literature that's out there, they kind of say that you know maybe he killed Anne, maybe he didn't. More people lean towards he did. Uh-huh. But very few make mention of the uh, stewardesses. So we can assume that he did. I mean, he never admitted to one. So 
it's one of the one of the question marks you have to put on his kill list. Yeah, because they've got the other one in um just Lisa Wick and Lonnie Trumbull. But yeah, that was Seattle. Right. So so I don't know. Yeah, for but yeah, I have to say like doesn't look yeah, find something for New well, Jersey, Jersey is hard, there right? Is, yeah, there's so yeah, there really isn't. If he did, that was one he took to the grave. Yeah, because yeah, everything I'm looking up for stewardess and Bundy and everything, everything's coming up with the two from right. Yeah, so I mean, I'm unless you got the states confused, which <laughs> well. And I think it's one of those where, okay, if these two girls went missing around the time he was visiting family in mm-hmm. in Philadelphia, then they can make the you know they're making the a, a jump. Yeah, but I'm also saying like I can't find anything right with New Jersey, you know, stewardesses. Well, <clears throat> well, we're gonna have enough murder for uh, for quite quite a buffet tonight, so. Enjoy. <laughs> You're right. There is no consensus as to when or where Bundy began killing women. He told different stories to different people and refused to divulge the, the specifics of his earlier crimes, even as he confessed in graphic detail to dozens of later murders in the days preceding his execution. That's where um the the one book I have on my shelf, uh, the Death House interviews takes place he told nelson that he attempted his first kidnapping in 69 in ocean city new jersey but did not kill anyone until sometime in 71 in seattle he told psychologist art norman there's a wonderful name that he killed two women in in atlantic city while visiting family in philadelphia in 69 the two stewardesses that we were just talking about. But was he telling the truth or was he just bullshitting to, to save time? I think bullshitting. You know, I, I'm going to agree with you on this one because I, I think he was just bullshitting just to, just when, when the execution date's getting closer, you start wanting to, you know, hey, I know more. Mm-hmm. Don't kill me. You'll never solve it. Now, Bundy hinted to homicide detective Robert D. Capel that he committed a murder in Seattle in 72 and another murder in 73 that involved a hitchhiker near Tumwater, but he refused to elaborate. Can, can we say uh, possible bullshit on that one? I, I say possible. Rule and Capel both believe that he might have started killing as a teenager. Bundy's earliest documented homicides were committed in 74 when he was 27 years old. By his own admission, he had by then mastered the necessary skills in the era before DNA profiling to leave minimal incriminating forensic evidence at crime scenes. That's what you get from reading all those detective novels, detective magazines as a kid.
I'll be able to get away from with it then. Right. You know, and I mean, granted, they're, they're the cheese. That's how I'll try or I think you know, I need to put notice. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, is I, I when I was a teen, I picked up those magazines because, you know, they were, you know, true crime, you know, read about the panty killer, you know, some stupid shit like that. I didn't really see any. Well, like more like the internet than when right. college, like you know, between classes before the colleges learned how to you know block websites. <laughs> right now, as we get into this, um, you know, we, we're going to give out some of the aliases that some of these women were given in the Bundy literature, and I know it was more to protect protect them and protect their family from like you know Bundy fanatics so shortly after midnight on January 4th 1974 as I lay sleeping in my crib around the time that he terminated his relationship with Brooks Bundy entered the basement apartment of 18 year old Karen Sparks now in the literature she's often known as Joni Lenz Mary Adams and Terry Caldwell. Now, she was a dancer and a student at the University of Washington. After bludgeoning Sparks with a metal rod from her bed frame, he sexually assaulted her with either the same rod or mental speculum, causing extensive internal injuries. She remained unconscious for 10 days, and although she survived, she was left with permanent physical and mental disabilities. In the early morning hours of February 1st, he broke into the basement room of Linda Ann Healy, a UW undergrad who works for the uh, morning broadcast radio weather reports for skiers. This is one that they really say is like the first. And and I've, you know, I've seen pictures of her. She was a nice looking girl too, man. He he had taste in women to kill. I'm going to give him that. No pun intended, right? No, no, I'm not. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know how many documentaries I've watched about Bundy in preparation for this. Every single one of these women was nice looking and, like I said, brown hair parted down the middle. You know, it's like, whew, you had some taste, man. He beat her unconscious, dressed her in blue jeans, a white blouse, and boots, and carried her away. During the first half of 1974, female college students disappeared at the rate of about one per month. On March 12th, Donna Gail Manson, no related to our, no, no relation to our friend Charlie. No, no, God, no. Yeah. A 19 year old student at the Evergreen State College in Olympia. 60 miles or 95 kilometers southwest of Seattle, left her dormitory to attend a jazz concert on campus, but never arrived. Sorry for the barking uh, if you Stewie? hear it. Stewie, yeah. I, I thought it might have been my mom's dog for a moment. Yeah, no, I think people have just walked by, I'm sure. Be nice, Stewie. Yeah. On April 17th, Susan... Susan Elaine Rancourt disappeared while on her way to her dorm room after an evening advisors meeting at Central Washington State College in Ellensburg, 110 miles or 175 kilometers southeast of Seattle. 
two female Central Washington students later came forward to report encounters, one on the night of Rancourt's disappearance, the other three nights earlier, with a man wearing a sling who was asking for help carrying a load of books to his brown or tan Volkswagen Beetle. On May 6, Roberta Kathleen Parks left her dormitory at Oregon State University in Corvallis, 260 miles or 420 kilometers south of Seattle, to have coffee with friends at the Memorial Union. Uh, that VW Beetle, is that the one that you've seen or is that one of the later ones? Um, not sure. I'm probably thinking it's probably one of the later ones. Uh, could that have been, well, we're, I mean, if you know the story, you know, we're not really giving anything away here, but could that have been the one that he um, used in Florida? Yeah, here, like the Alcatraz East, I'll, when you're, I'll look it up. She never arrived. Investigators from Seattle and King County grew in, increasingly concerned. There was no significant physical evidence, and the missing women had little in common apart from similar appearance. Young, attractive, white college students with long hair parted in the middle. On June 1st, Brenda Carroll Ball, 22, disappeared after leaving the Flame Tavern in Burien near Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. She was last seen in the parking lot talking to a brown-haired man with his arm in a sling. In the early hours of June 11th, UW student Georgianne Hawkins vanished while walking down a brightly lit alley between her boyfriend's dormitory residence and her sorority house. The next morning, three Seattle homicide detectives and a criminalist combed the entire alleyway on their hands and knees, finding nothing. Bundy later told Keppel that he lured Hawkins to his car and knocked her unconscious with a crowbar. After handcuffing her, he drove her to Issaquah, a suburb 20 miles, 30 kilometers east of Seattle, where he strangled her and spent the entire night with her body. He later returned to the UW, UW alley the morning after and, in the very midst of a major crime scene investigation, located and gathered Hawkins' earrings and one of her shoes where he had left them in the adjoining parking lot and departed unobserved. It was a feat so brazen for Keppel that it astonishes police even today. Bundy said he revisited Hawkins' corpse on three occasions. I, I had a thought about something on something in one of these last ones that you said, but uh, oh, the sling. It kind of reminds me of um, Silence with the Lambs. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. And I think that's where they, they borrowed the idea from yeah. so Buffalo Bill could get the women was, you know, Bundy using the sling and hiding the metal object in the sling. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, I, that's where my brain went when you said that. I was like, wait, I, I've seen this trick before. Mm-hmm. After Hawkins disappeared, her disappearance was publicized. Witnesses came forward to report seeing a man in an alley behind a nearby dormitory on the night of her disappearance. He was on crutches with a leg cast and was struggling to carry a briefcase. One woman recalled that the man asked her to help him carry the case to his car, which was what, folks? A light brown Volkswagen Beetle. 
During this period, Bundy was working in Olympia as the assistant director of the Seattle Crime Prevention Advisory Commission. Nice cover, like Dexter. If you all, if you all haven't seen Dexter, just watch it. It's great. The serial killer who works as a blood splatter expert for the police department. Great writing. So he, he was working for the commission where he wrote a pamphlet for women on rape prevention. See my picture? Don't come near me. Oh. He could have used a picture of Phil, but Phil wasn't born yet. That's true. But actually, the, the car, it's the, one that he, it's the one that he owned. So he really says owned. Okay, so, car, yeah, so it, was, it, it was the one that he was using during this period then. Yeah, and then he, when he, he took the passenger seat out of too. Right, so that he could lay him down so they wouldn't be nice. Yeah, so that's it's that one. Continue. Right. Yeah, later, he worked at the Department of Energy Services, a state government agency involved in a search for the missing women. <laughs> this is a and I'm chuckling and, and I'm not meaning to be disrespectful, but I, I'm finding it funny that Bundy worked in these agencies dealing with crime prevention and searching for his victims. And that's something a lot of killers do is like insert themselves into the, the search. But, you know, Bundy never pointed out where the bodies were. That'd been too easy. At the DES, he met and began dating Carol Ann Boone a twice-divorced mother of two who would play an important role in the final phase of his life six years later. Caroline, I wonder if she's the... Okay, I'm, I'm running off on a thought here. Bundy's sixth... Oh. Reports of the brutal attack on Sparks and the six missing women appeared prominently in newspapers and on television, on televisions throughout Washington and Oregon. Fear spread among the population hitchhiking by young women dropped sharply pressure mounted on law enforcement agencies but the scarcity of physical evidence severely hampered them police would not provide reporters with the little information that was available for fear of compromising the investigation i get that completely further similarities between the victims were noted the disappearances all took place at night usually near ongoing construction work and were within a week of midterm or final exams. All of the victims were wearing slacks or blue jeans when they disappeared, and at many of the crime scenes, there were sightings of a man wearing a cast or a sling and driving what? A brown or tan Volkswagen Beetle. The Oregon and Washington murders. I sound so happy, don't I? You're right. Yeah. <laughs> hey. like, Combinated on July 14th with the broad daylight abductions of two women from a crowded beach at Lake Sammamish State Park in Issaquah. Five female witnesses described an attractive young man wearing a white tennis outfit with his left arm in a sling, speaking with a light accent, perhaps Canadian or British. Introducing himself as Ted, he asked their help in unloading a sailboat from his tan or bronze-colored Volkswagen Beetle. Four refused. Hey. hey, lady, can you help me with my boat? I'm a boot to take it off my car, eh? Yeah, one accompanied him as far as his car, saw that there was no sailboat, and fled. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, sir, but um, you don't have a sailboat on your car, so like, um, I'm gonna go like over here because I'm actually smart. <laughs> right. I, I'm, not, I'm not like a dizzy blonde or nothing. Yeah. Three additional witnesses saw him approach Janice and Ott, 23, a probation caseworker. Oh, so she showed, oh. <laughs> like her, the, you know, like her danger warning. Well, right, you know. Up a little bit higher than that. Oh, great. Now I'm like going to say what, you know, victim blaming, but. Well, no, we're not victim blaming, but I mean. Yeah, it, it's like something you need to be. You need to. To be a little more where especially when that's your vocation right it was like i explained to my my therapist the other day um because my dad kidnapped me when i was a kid i've grown up like really watching my environment where i'm at you know checking everyone out and i always sit facing a door so i can see who's coming in uh-huh. so you know i'm aware of my surroundings because of what happened to me as a kid yeah this lady's a probation officer she deals with these idiots mm-hmm. yeah. okay yeah a probation caseworker at the king county juvenile court i guess that was the difference the juvenile so uh, well right the kids the kids haven't graduated to that yet well with the sailboat story and watched her leave the beach in his company. About four hours later, Denise Marie Nasland, a 19-year-old woman who was studying to become a computer programmer. Oh, man, she would have made big bucks back then. Oh, God, yeah, she would have. Uh-huh. Left a picnic to go to the restroom and never returned. Bundy told Steve Michaud and William Hagmeyer that Ott was still alive when he returned with Nasland and that he forced one to watch as he murdered the other. I am going to this dog, I swear. But he later denied it in an interview with Lewis on the eve of his execution. Mm. Yeah, trying to make himself look a little bit better. I don't think so with that. Trying to shave a little bit off, you know? Yeah, no, not working. King County Police, finally armed with a detailed description of their suspect and his car, posted flyers throughout the Seattle area. A composite sketch was printed in regional newspapers and broadcast on local television stations. Klopfer, Rule, a DES employee, and a UW psychology professor all recognized the profile, the sketch, and the car, and reported Bundy as a possible suspect. But detectives, who were receiving up to 200 tips per day, thought it unlikely that a clean-cut law student with no adult criminal record could be the perpetrator. Wait, and I guess, and oh, also the fact that wasn't people were saying they heard him saying, oh, "Hi, I'm Ted." They're like, "Well, right. he wouldn't give his real name." I'm like, "Well, if he's expecting for them to die, he would." Well, and something else that um uh, that I I noticed in the um, the documentaries that I've watched on Bundy at this point when like they're getting all the tips and everything, Bundy's name was on their list, but he was like so far down on the list. Oh, yeah. But then also with the whole, you know, given his name, too. Right. But they, you know, like you just said, no, no one thought that this clean cut lawyer was, you know, 
this yeah. law student was killing people. Yeah, who? Not Ted. Right? It's like people going, "Our Kelly would never do such a thing to women." Exactly. Yep. <laughs> On September sixth, two grouse. I hunt- believe I can fly. James was watching that the other night. I have to start cracking up though. Like hearing what? that Space Jam. Oh. But I mean, hearing that now, it's like, puts a whole other twist to it. Right. It's like, well, what? Something. It was something about Cosby that I was thinking about the other day. That I was like, no, I, I was watching uh, Eddie Murphy's Raw. Oh. Oh, when he did that bit about Cosby, you cannot, you know. Um, and, uh, and also when he was on SNL, about who'd be the, you know, who ended up being the house husband, who'd be in jail. Huh? Right. But, I, but I'm oh, sitting yeah. here, I'm watching this bit. I'm like, this did not age well. Oh, yeah. September 6th, two grouse hunters stumbled across the skeletal remains of Ott and Nasland near a service road in Issaquah, two miles, three kilometers east of Lake Sammamish State Park. An extra femur and several vertebrae found at the site were later identified by Bundy as those of Hawkins. Six months later, forestry students from Green River Community College, I just wanted to take a class. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just want to take like an easy A. Yeah, right? You know, what, we get to walk out in the woods? I can do that. Easy. Uh-huh. Yeah. They discovered the skulls and mandibles of Healy, Rancourt, Parks, and Ball on Taylor Mountain, where Bundy frequently hiked just east of Issaquah. Um, professor, is, is, is the finding of the skeletons going to be on the final? Or extra credit? Right. Extra credit. Yeah. Because you know, I, I you know, I'm failing is because you know I'm I'm sleeping in the bushes and I'm, I'm trying to make out with this girl over here and you know that's why we keep walking off in the forest together. That's probably the reason why I would take a forestry class. Which class and <laughs> one? I took easy. one in um. In high school, because there was the creek behind, you know, the oh. school and everything, where my mom had to come and, like, bring me extra clothes one day. Fortunately, she was able to, because, you know, who, for, who slept and, you know, fell in the creek. I, uh, no, when I was in, the, there's a career center out here in Kankakee that I went to in my junior and senior year, and I took nursing classes just so I could be the only boy in an all-girl class. And they all turned out to be lesbians, right? <laughs> no, but if they did, it would have been an even bigger bonus for me. Trying because I'd have sat there and taken some notes. There, there, there. That is the look. Uh-huh. Yeah. She's like, yeah, they're, they're, I'm waiting for it. Yeah. De- mm-hmm. de- deliver the punchline here, George. Yeah. Uh-huh. In August of 74, Bundy received a second acceptance from the University of Utah Law School. So he moved down to Salt Lake City, leaving Klopfer in Seattle. Now, while he called her often, he dated 
Now we're going to put this in air quotes, folks. At least a dozen other women. As he studied the first year law curriculum a second time, he was devastated to find out that the other students had something, some intellectual capacity that, well, he didn't. He found the classes completely. What? Sorry, I was just empathy. Empathy, money. Because um, I mean, if you're going down there to University of Utah, that's right there in Salt Lake. That's Mormon territory. That's, that's, yeah. big, that's big time Mormon territory. Well, yeah, I was like, you know, more, you know, like, well, right. I mean, we're not going to kill people, you know, that. No, there's no. Thoughts. But then it makes me wonder, and I'm probably going to answer my own question here a serial killer studying the laws so he can get, a, so he can find a way to get, get away with what he's doing. Yeah. Because it reminds, well, Reminds me of what the judge said when he's in Florida. You know, you'd been a hell of a lawyer, but you took a different path. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I want, no, that judge is probably dead now. Yeah. I'd like to, I would have liked to have met him and shook his hand. Continue again. So they had some type of intellectual capacity that he did not. He found the classes completely incomprehensible. It was a great disappointment to me, he said. Well, I mean, you you got to have a mind for studying law because you got to know those intricacies. You know what what case what case is going to be pertinent to your case and everything. I've watched too much Law and Order. I was like, yeah, you and my dad would get along very well. They were, yeah, one summer we were in Paris and we had to watch Law and Order in German. Oh, that would have been fun. <laughs> At least it was a Night Rider in German. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> hey, it could have been worse. It could have been Night Rider. You could have seen why the Germans loved the Hoff. Uh, <laughs> a new string of homicides began the following month, including two that would remain undiscovered until Bundy confessed to them shortly before his execution. On September 2nd, he raped and strangled a still unidentified hitchhiker in Idaho. Who the ho? Idaho. Then he disposed of the remains immediately in a nearby river or returned the next day to photograph and dismember the corpse. We're not exactly sure. On October 2nd, he abducted 16-year-old Nancy Wilcox in Holiday, Utah, which is a suburb of Salt Lake City. He, Bundy informed investigators that her remains were buried near Capitol Reef National Park some 200 miles south of Holiday, but they were never found. Chances are scavengers probably got to them. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. Coyotes, stuff like that. Yeah. On October 18th, Melissa Ann Smith, the 17-year-old daughter of the police chief. Oh, you idiot. You don't go after the daughter of the police chief? Well, that's how Peter Laurie's um, daughter got away from Hillside Stranglers. Yeah. Because they saw her, like, you know, the driver's license said Lori, and they're like, yep, never mind. Right. <laughs> you can go now. Was, you said Green River? Yeah, the um, Hillside Stranglers. Oh, the Hillside. Yeah, I got to find yeah. some books on the Hillside boys. Yeah. Or boy. Boys. Oh, yeah, I, I knew it was either plural or singular. So, yeah, they say Hillside Strangler, but it was really, it was, you know, two of them. So, okay. Uh. 
Melissa Ann Smith, 17 year old daughter of the police chief of Midvale, another Salt Lake City suburb, disappeared after leaving a pizza parlor. Her new body was found in a nearby mountainous area nine days later. Postmortem examination indicated that she may have remained alive for up to seven days following her disappearance. On Halloween of that year, now you're going to murder on Halloween with you, Michael Myers? Laura Ann Amy, also 17, disappeared 25 miles south of there in Lahaye after leaving a cafe just after midnight. Her naked body was found by hikers. That's why we don't go hiking. Her naked body was found by hikers nine miles to the northeast in the American Fork Canyon on Thanksgiving Day. Both girls had been beaten, raped, sodomized, and strangled with nylon stockings. Years later, Bundy described his postmortem rituals with the corpses of Smith and Amy, including hair shampooing and application of makeup. Yes, mother. I just, yeah, I, I have nothing for that one. Just, yeah, just for some reason, I felt like doing Norman Bates. Oh, so. well, yeah. Uh-huh. Makes sense, but yeah. Hey, yeah. Ugh. Oh, this is so mean. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In the late afternoon of November 8th, Bundy approached 18-year-old telephone operator Carol Naranch at Fashion Place Mall in Murray, less than a mile from the Midvale restaurant where Smith was last seen. He identified... I'm going to go up a little bit more into this because I, I this, is, this is a case that gets covered a lot because she's... Well... You know she's going to survive. Well, yeah, escaped. So basically what he did is he approached her in the mall and he said he was a police officer and that they caught some guys trying to break into her car. So he said, you know, would you like to come with me to, to file a complaint? So she pointed out to Bunny that he was driving on a road that did not lead to the police station. He pulled on, immediately pulled on the sh shoulder and attempted to handcuff her. Now, during the struggle, he inadvertently fastened both handcuffs to the same wrist, and she was able to open the car door and escape. Later that evening, Deborah Jean Kent, a 17-year-old student at Viewmont High School in Bountiful, 25 miles north of Murray, disappeared after leaving a theater production at the school to pick up her brother. Mommy, he never came and picked me up, and I had to go to the bathroom, and I wet my pants. Um, you're 35. Oh. The school's drama teacher and students told the police that a stranger had asked each of them to come out to the parking lot to identify a car. Another student later saw the same man pacing in the rear of the auditorium, and then the drama teacher spotted him again shortly before the end of the play. Outside the auditorium, investigators found a key that unlocked the handcuffs removed from Durant's wrists. I'm wondering, if he was back there pacing in the auditorium, could it, could it be that he was agitated that a potential victim got away and he needed another kill to satisfy the urge? Most likely. And also with Carol, too, I remember, like, another documentary is also... It's like, well, how did he know that it was her car 
out of all the people. Yeah. Right. Well, questioning that too, walking out. It's like, wait. And then when she, you know, checked the inside of her car and like nothing was missing. And he was like, oh, well, like you go, you know, put in a complaint. And she's like, first, like, was there a complaint about nothing was taken? Right. Well, I think, I, I think in, in that type of a snatch and grab, you know, you, he presents himself as a cop. Yeah. I mean, that's the stuff she was like, she had said too, but it was like the 70s and you was, and he flashed a badge. Right. So. And he flashed a badge yeah. just like Gacy did. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah. I think what it is in, in, in a snatch and grab like that, you follow, you just say, you walk up to someone and say, oh, someone's breaking into your car. You don't know what their car is. So you follow them to their car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That way, that passerbys, you're given the illusion. And it was that undercover helping. too, because right. it wasn't a cop car. It was, yeah, they said, right. why isn't this a, you know, a police car? Oh, I'm undercover. Um, I'm undercover, and uh, the motor pool only had a VW bug with with a missing seat. Yeah. <laughs> but still, you know, it, it's in a snatch and grab like this, you follow them out to their car because you really don't know what their car is. Like it, like if I was to see you in a in a mall and, and pull that line on you, I don't know what you're driving. So I'm going to follow you out in case someone overheard our conversation, and they see me walking out with you. So they go, "Oh, well, the cop is walking with her to her car." Mm-hmm. So that that's how it works. All right. In November. Klopfer called King County Police a second time after reading that young women were disappearing in towns surrounding Salt Lake City. Detective Randy Hergsheimer of the Major Crimes Division interviewed her in detail. By then, Bundy had risen considerably on the King County hierarchy of suspicion, but the Lake Sammamish witness, considered most reliable by detectives, failed to identify him from a photo lineup. In December, Klopfer called the Salt Lake County Sheriff's Office and repeated her suspicions. Bundy's name was added to their list of suspects, but at that time, no credible forensic evidence linked him to the Utah crimes. In January 1975, Bundy returned to Seattle after his final exams and spent a week with Klopfer, who did not tell him that she had reported him to police on three occasions. She made plans to visit him in Salt Lake City in August. You know she was sweating bullets at that meeting. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. She, she was just sitting there, and she knows that she's been, you know, telling the police on him, and she's just like, no, I just don't know what's going on. I don't know why there's an officer outside of my house, Ted. I really don't. And giving him side eye, like making sure he's not. Like, right. You know, if there's a cop there, she's like. Rope or something. <laughs> you know, there's a cop nearby. She's kind of like, you know nodding her head over like uh-huh it's him yep writing help me on the bottom of her shoes <laughs> yeah <laughs> backwards right <laughs> right in 1975 bundy shifted much of his criminal activity eastward from his base in utah to colorado on january 12th a 23 year old registered nurse named karen eileen campbell 
disappeared while walking down a well-lit hallway between the elevator and her room at the Wildwood Inn, now the Wildwood Lodge, in Snowmass Village, 400 miles or 640 kilometers southeast of Salt Lake City. Okay, I got to take a look and see if this place is still standing. Yeah. Her nude body was found a month later next to a dirt road just outside the resort. She had been killed by blows to her head from a blunt instrument that left distinctive linear groove depressions on her skull. Her body also bore deep cuts from a sharp weapon. On March 15th, 100 miles or 160 kilometers northeast of Snowmass, Vail ski instructor Jolie Cunningham, 26, disappeared while walking from her apartment to a dinner day with a friend. Bundy later told Colorado investigators that he approached Cunningham on crutches and asked her to help carry his ski boots to his car. It's standing. That's good. Yeah. You want to go around a road room there? Yeah, road trip. <laughs> right. That's more like a plane trip, but yeah. <laughs> right. Where he clubbed and handcuffed her before sexually assaulting and strangling her at a secondary site near Rifle, 90 miles or 140 kilometers west of Vale. Weeks later, he made the six-hour drive from Salt Lake City to revisit her remains. I think I had remembered in one of the um, documentaries that he would go and put makeup on them and do their hair and nails. Yeah, some of them. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't you look pretty. (laughs) Denise Lynn Oliverson, 25, disappeared near the Utah-Colorado border in Grand Junction, on April 6th, while riding her bicycle to her parents' house, her bike and sandals were found under a viaduct near a railroad bridge. On May 6th, Bundy lured 12-year-old Lynette Dawn Culver from Alameda Junior High School in Pocatello, Idaho, 160 miles, 255 kilometers, north of Salt Lake City. He drowned her in his hotel room, after which he disposed of her body in a river, likely the Snake River, North of Pocatello. In mid-May, three of Bundy's Washington State DES co-workers, including Boone, visited him in Salt Lake City and stayed for a week in his apartment. He subsequently spent a week in Seattle with Klopfer in early June, and they discussed getting married the following Christmas. Again, Klopfer made no mention of her multiple discussions with authorities in King County and Salt Lake County. Bundy disclosed neither his ongoing relationship with Boone nor a concurrent romance with a Utah law student known in various accounts as Kim Andrews or Sharon R. Yeah, organize your life. Right. How, how, to juggle, how to juggle relationships and murder in three easy steps. Yep. On June 28th, Susan Curtis vanished from the campus of Brigham Young University in Provo, 45 miles south of Salt Lake City. Her murder became Bundy's last confession, tape recorded moments before he entered the execution chamber. Nice. Hold on to that one till the end. The bodies of Wilcox, Kent, Cunningham, Oliverson, Culver, and Curtis were never recovered. Which, again, leads me to the idea that if you put them out in the wilderness, scavengers ran off with them. Oh. Let's see. Most assuredly. 
In August or September of 75, Bundy was baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Him and Jody Arias. Oh, man. Was she baptized? Yeah. yeah. That's right, because they did the poop. That's right, because they did the poop hole loophole. That's crazy. But yeah, there's pictures of her with you stand next to him that like her baptism. Yeah, I gotta find I gotta find a book on her. There's a lot of them. So right, but she's that crazy hot though. That that's a but then she switched to the brown hair and the glasses and all right. Well that that's a girl. That's a girl you'd have to sleep palm in a blade. Although he was not an active participant in services and ignored most of the church's restrictions. He would later be excommunicated by the LDS church following his 76 kidnapping conviction. Smart move. <laughs> Even the Mormons knew this was not a... Uh-huh. When asked his religious preferences after his arrest, he answered Methodist, the religion of his childhood. Fall back on what you know, man. Fall back. In Washington state, investigators were still struggling to analyze the Pacific Northwest murder spree that had ended as abruptly as it began. In an effort to make sense of an overwhelming mass of data, they resorted to the then innovative strategy of compiling a database. Ooh. They used a King County payroll computer described as a huge primitive machine. Well, the early computers were by contemporary standards, but the only one available for their use. After inputting the many lists they had compiled, you know, classmates, acquaintances of each victim, Volkswagen owners named Ted, known sex offenders and, you know, everything else. They queried the computer for coincidences. Out of thousands of names, 26 turned up on four lists. One was Ted Bundy. Detectives also manually compiled a list of their 100 best suspects. Well, Bundy was on that list, too. He was literally at the top of the pile of suspects when word came from Utah of his arrests. And that is where we're going to leave Bundy today, children. So, pretty much part, well, if, if you know the Bundy story, you know what's coming up in three, but we're going to leave that for next week. So, no spoiler alerts here. No. But, if you want to see a, a really good document documentary on him, I suggest a Netflix um, murder tapes. Okay. Yeah, uh, it, the interview with a killer. Um, they got one on. We talked about the the Gacy one when we did Gacy. Their first one was on Bundy, and I'm hoping they do a third one because I would love to see who they inter- who uh, they talked to, and got on tape. There's not many left. Raider still alive too, but oh, yeah. obviously older anyway too. But I would love, honestly, in a in a, a show like that, I would love to hear Ed Kemper. I was going to say he's probably going to be the next one. 
Well, I mean, they did interview. I mean, they do another one and all the. I there was one. Um, there is one that I I seen on Discovery Plus about Kemper. And um, the psychologist who interviewed him, his son played the tapes. So I haven't like looked as much into Kemper as some of the other ones. Um, I've got a. I think I got one book on Kemper. I'm, I, I was trying to get a book on Kemper and a and a book on my boy Ed Gein. Yeah, it's funny. It's like compared to like some of them, like with Bundy, like like no. Oh, there is. Facts. But yeah, but the same for like my own. I like knew nothing really about Kemper. I think. Care of them. I think the most the the two big ones that had the most books on them, and, and I could be wrong. Is uh actually I'm gonna go with three that I know of, and I'm going off of the top of my head. I'm gonna say uh Bundy, Manson, and Jim Jones. Oh, yeah. That that's my guess. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, or compared with like it's like compared like my knowledge of Manson to Kemper. It's I'm basically with Manson's like expert, Kemper, it's like what's true crime? Right. Yeah, with my knowledge difference. Uh, I I saw Kemper on uh, season one of Mind Hunters, and the actor they got to play him was great. I watched a video, and they showed how he transformed himself into Kemper. I'm like, dude, you're good. So, we're gonna wrap this one up. Um, Spotify, you want to find us? We're on Spotify. I'm, I know I keep saying this every show, and I am. I'm trying to get us into Apple. Don't worry. I didn't forget. Every, I didn't forget everybody. But no, no, we had plans. We were going to do a live show, and then you know things with my dad happened. Um, we were going to record, and then he died. So, you know, it, it's been a rough couple of weeks. Yeah. But I'm all better now. Yeah, I was like people I was with everybody have been sick. I mean, at different times. So right. I'm like, oh my, it's really it's gone all over the place now. So. But no, we're good. Mm-hmm. So, for Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0, I am I am the Gray White Snark, Scotty J. Say good night, Monica. Good night, Monica. <laughs>